Ryder Nation and William Powell bringing the energy, bringing the fight, bringing the fire every game day, every practice. Let's go, Ryder Nation. podcast your premier saskatchewan rough riders fan podcast thanks for joining us here this week i'm alex i'm steve and uh it's just the two of us like uh old times i was so close to singing that and then i was like i can hear greg in the back of my head don't you sing it don't you sing it i think that might be the first time i've ever started to sing on this show i don't know if i've ever done it before there we go all it takes is us to kick greg off the show one week and it just brings joy into my life. <laughs> he's on timeout. Fired, Greg. Yeah, he's on timeout <laughs> this week. Uh, Greg's uh, doing the old family thing, so it's just the two of us this week. We are Piffles Podcast, brought to you by Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Check us out on Twitter at Piffles Pod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. You can find me at Safamod, and don't give Greg your pity follows. No, we won't even tell you where you can follow him. That's how much he doesn't want you to follow him at Greg on Sports. We won't even tell you where he is. Let's uh, get to it. We got some football to talk about, Steve. It's the opening kickoff. It's not the same without Greg laughing at it. It really just isn't the same. I, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate that. Doesn't eh, maybe next week we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll get a, we'll get a laugh track. There we just, go. Just for the show's great. Oh, good ending. idea. That costs money though. Uh, there's got to be free laugh tracks on the internet. There's everything on the internet. <laughs> well, the Riders' big time win last Saturday in Montreal, nineteen fourteen, in another barn burner in the CFL. Um, I don't know where do you do you want to start with offense or defense. I mean, was there offense? It was offensive. Again. That, okay, I, so I, that, was, that was the offense, basically, yep, in a nutshell. Well, it's going to be a really short show, <laughs> uh, like our offensive drives. Good news for the Riders, though, was on offense, they moved the ball when they gave it to William Powell. They did that in the first quarter. They moved the ball. Then they stopped doing it. I mean, usually they wait till the second half to give it to them before they, they stop. So it was a start. It was something different. And but it, was a... it, it gets kind of tiresome how little they want to use one of the premier backs in the CFL. Like, I feel like they're just trying to leave him and have the fresh legs for, for the cold weather, and that they figure that's how they're going to beat Winnipeg and Calgary in the playoffs, but you got to get to those spots first and like you got to use him and open up things in the offense and when they did give him the ball and and like it was swing passes and hitches and it wasn't just running the ball it was throwing him the ball he was making the plays so hopefully Jason Moss figured it out and be like you know what this guy's actually really good we should probably get him the ball more often and going up next week against the Elks well this week against the Elks who have been shredded for almost 600 yards rushing against in the last three games that would be uh, a good time to get him going. The, the best recipe for not giving up rushing yards is to go up against the Riders' offense. So uh, <laughs> that number should come down dramatically. I, I just, I don't get it. We've talked about it week in and week out. Get him involved in every way possible. 
he should be having 15 to 20 touches every game minimum and to me and that's you don't just, get anywhere near that and to me that's just running the ball not even you know passes and screens and hitches that should be running the ball because with the problems on this this offensive line you can mask that by running the ball and getting those guys running forward using their momentum and not have to pass protect that's what you do with young inexperienced offensive lines you run the ball and get them to be the aggressors, and we're not seeing that. And it's frustrating because we see this game after game. Everyone sees this. All the fans are calling for more running the ball with Powell because we know that Cody doesn't have the time to throw deep, which is basically right now what our really only offensive threats are, our deep threats. We're not having those intermediate guys taking things deep or you know, catching and, and getting long plays after. They're relying on chucking the ball up and, you know, those 50-50 balls we've talked about, which are probably about uh, 595 balls, really. But <laughs> I think that's generous. Yeah, but it's just like, they're get the ball to Powell, run the ball, then you can actually do your play action. You'll be able to get those linebackers and safeties creeping up, and you can hit a play deep. Like, that. it just sets it up. It's, like, to me, that's football 101, and he's trying to go further than that, and they're, they're not respecting the the run other teams because they know they're not going to do it so they can just pin their ears back and go after Cody Fajardo and just not give the offensive line any time that's exactly it imagine you're a defensive lineman for any team the Riders have played this year if you pin your ears back and go what 10 times out of the 40 to 50 plays we run in a game they're going to run the ball that means 80% of the time you're making the right call without even thinking about it why wouldn't you? You don't have to respect the run. You don't even have to consider it as an option because Jason Moss isn't. It, it's, it's insane to me. You said it. It is football 101 with the way this team is built. And, it, and if you look at the beginning of the season, it was a lot of that short stuff and, and running that got us quick points off the, off the bat. And then we just kind of went away with it. And I don't know why. And it's, it's got to change. We're, we keep thinking, well, maybe this will be the week that the offense gets their act together. But we're now 14 weeks into the season, and if it's not happening, it can no now. longer be that we're not there or that we're we're gonna get there. It's now we don't have that team. So I mean, where where do you draw that line, and what do you do come playoff time? I hope you're right. I hope it's the Riders are just kind of leaning on the on the on the pass to give William Powell fresh legs, but none. Nothing gives me that kind of hope or motivation that that's what they're doing. This is just the offense he is building. This seems to me like it's a Chris Jones offense and the fact that, one, we don't really even care about it. We're relying on the defense where it's, hey, if we can get one touchdown, let's hope to hell we don't give one up and maybe we can get a couple field goals and win a low-scoring game. Like those games in 2017-18 with Chris Jones, like this is what it's reminding me of. This isn't the same team that we saw in 2019 that was putting up points and that was with the Stephen McAdoo offense and how many of us were critical of Stephen McAdoo's offense because he wouldn't throw the ball so like it's just it's ridiculous but what they need to do is they need to bring McAdoo in have him and Jason Moss basically slap half their playbooks together (laughs) and then see what happens I remember when we when we signed Jason Moss and everyone was all pumped up and excited and the first half against BC, everyone was like, see, we were smart. This is exactly what we wanted to see. 
and we have seen zero of that since. There's been no excitement, no... I, I don't want to say it. Like, I feel bad as a, as a Ryder fan as we get close to the playoffs, but there's no hope. We are not going to win in the playoffs in games like this. Winnipeg is too good of a football team to not come in there with a good game plan. They will eat you alive. And against a team that refuses to run the ball, that D-line will probably actually murder Cody Fajardo. Like, it's, it's, it's insane. But... You know, we can talk about that ad, ad nauseum, and we have for eight, nine, ten weeks now, and nothing's changing. So it's more a matter of we got to sit back and just get used to it because this is what we got. Well, hopefully the uh, the timing with uh, Shaq Evans comes back and the, getting Duke Williams up to speed anyway, hopefully the more that they, they play here going down the stretch, that does open things up and, and Cody creates that chemistry with Duke Williams because as we saw at least on the uh, – the onside kicks there. This guy is a monster, and they need to get they need to force Duke Williams the ball and let him make plays. Whether that's short slants and let him just go, whether it's finding that one on one that you have with him and tossing it up and hoping he comes down with it or draws a pi or something. Duke Williams has to be the guy that this offense I, is built around. I almost wonder, and I may be jumping ahead into our lineup here. But I almost wonder if the injury to Kyren Moore might be a bit of a blessing in disguise. That's not a knock on, on Moore. He's a great receiver. We need him in this offense. But it's clear between him and Fajardo, there is nothing there on that deep ball. Either he drops it or Cody overthrows him. We've seen it six, eight times this year between the two of them. Well, and that was, a lot of that was with Shaq out of the lineup, right? So Yeah. You're putting Kyron Moore on the number one defensive backs, and again, not a slight against Kyron Moore. I'll take that defensive back most of the time if you're trying to deep pass anyway. You but get even last Kyron week, Moore with, on a crosser. With him back in the lineup, with both of them back in the lineup, and more in Evans and Williams, we still tried that deep ball to Moore. It still failed. I and I I don't want to say I'm happy that Moore is hurt. Love no. the guy. Want him on the team. Want him on the field. But this might force Cody Fajardo to throw that deep ball to Shaq or to Williams. And we've seen what that does. That is that is good news for our offense. I I hope that it turns out well. And I hope I hope Moore comes back in 2022 because we've already learned he's out for the year. I hope he comes back next year at 100%. I, I want nothing but the best for that guy. So please don't turn this into a... I'm glad he's hurt. It is not. No. Love Kyren Moore. He is a great receiver. I just wonder if this might benefit the offense isn't the right term. but Well, like you said, it it'll might... force them to change, right? Yeah. Right, and we're, we're not seeing that. He's been, he's been the guy for eight weeks now between him and Schaefer Baker. So forcing that change might end up working in our benefit down the stretch. Losing a guy like him might not, but... I keep doing hand motions as if people can see it. <laughs> Steve's doing still the, an audio the, show. The balance hand signals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need one of those like, what do you with the descriptive, descriptive audio, audio over top of yeah. my talking. <laughs> uh, let's switch over and talk about that defense in that game. That was a clinic they put on against Matthew Schultz and the Alouettes, and it really all started as John Lou made sure we found out about from Lucez Pierrefoy's interception. 
at the end of the second half there. Was it the end of the second half? An, Am I getting ahead of myself? You got an interception at the end of the first half? Yeah, and it uh, changed momentum. And uh, if you didn't believe that, then uh, whoever he talked to on the Riders said that, and whoever he talked to on the Owls said that, and everyone he talked to post-game said that as well. I loved, I'm giving, I'm ragging on John Lou here. I love John Lou. I think he's fantastic. Um, <laughs> talked to him through my work, and he's just a great, great guy. He's funny, he's hilarious, but it was just like, to me, that's that whole TSN broadcast thing. There's your one storyline, stick with it, and just hammer it home, and... I mean, we see that with Glenn Suter and, you know, everybody. It was Rod Black before would, you know, just that's your one storyline. you got to hammer on it. But it, it, it was a huge play. It turned what looked like a promising Montreal touchdown drive into zero points for them, and the Riders ended up scoring off that drive. So you take a going down a 10-point game, all of a sudden now you're up four. Huge, huge momentum shift. And the defense, that's when they just kind of woke up and they were lights out after that. Interceptions, the sacks, oh my God, that D-line was incredible. Both D-lines were actually really, really good. But that D-line was fantastic. It's hard to look at any other moment in that game and not see that interception as the as the turning point. I don't blame John Liu or anybody else for bringing it up. It was, it was the play. The defense was doing great up till that point. They... Montreal was moving the ball, but they weren't they weren't putting points up. They scored three points in the first half. But our offense was doing absolutely nothing until that moment. And you could see it. It just felt like one of those games that was gonna be a, a low scoring affair that our team couldn't move the ball. And suddenly we get we get it back with the purifoy interception, we march down the field, we score, and there was confidence again. And you saw it coming out after the half as well. The team seemed to gain a whole bunch of confidence from that one play. So yeah, it was it was a big play, but like you said, it was talked about ad nauseum uh, from from then on. The what can you say about this D line when they when we are healthy? And why can't I remember uh, Garrett Marino when he comes back? That D line it's not gonna it's not gonna rival Winnipeg. So let's not get too crazy. But I feel like it could rival any other defensive line in the CFL right now. Quality across the board. They're all making plays, and when you add in the the quality that you got behind them in the in the linebacking core, which is still to me a huge surprise given what we lost to start the year. They've been very good. They they've been they've been great. And then and then you throw in these rookies at DB who suddenly decide that they can make plays too. I'm no longer even a little bit concerned about our defense. Our defense will win us games if our offense can get it together over the coming four weeks heading into the, the playoffs, I like our chances. If they don't, well. You read my, you read my notes here? Because the next note that I had, this is a championship-level defense. The way that Jason Shivers has them playing, this is a championship defense. They have the guys to win. They have the guys to go into Winnipeg and keep Winnipeg low-scoring. So are they? Are, is this defense as good as the bomber as the bombers? No, not yet. Anyway, it can rival them in a cold weather game. If they can, uh, if they can stop or stop the run like they did against uh, William Standback, who is leading the league in rushing and hold them to you know very little, then I like their chances in the playoffs of at least keeping the game close, giving the offense a chance. So, 
this defense is just playing at an elite level, and they need that for the final three weeks of the regular season and three weeks of the playoffs. I, I know you put a lot of work into into these notes every week, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't like reading other people's words. I don't like re- reading other people's notes because I feel like it's going to influence what I say, and I like to be me. So I, I don't usually read them. I didn't read that, but it's hard to argue that this isn't a championship-level defense. Like, they've, they've been over the last, especially the last two weeks, they have been on fire. Steve, the DBs are making plays. You know why I appreciate you? Because you think I put a lot of work into this lineup that I send <laughs> out for all of us. This took me like 45 seconds today, man. <laughs> hey, that's that's still, that's you're, you're doing the work for us. You're, you're doing the work ahead of the game so that we don't have to. <laughs> well, and of course... Uh, that's, that's still a minute more you spent on the show before I did. So. <laughs> there we go. Um, right. And, uh, I mean, the injuries coming out of that game, we talked about Kyron Moore, obviously, that knee injury out for the year. Um, Duke Williams, um, hamstring injury. He's up in the air right now. Whether he's going to play this week against Edmonton, I have a feeling he will suit up. He might be, you know, limited, and there might be a little bit more of a of a rotation in the receivers just to keep him, him fresh there. And uh, Dan Clark, we haven't talked about this yet, rolled his ankle. Apparently he's 50-50 to play. And this is a tough SOB, man. Like, this is a guy who went through a windy little car and didn't miss a game that week. I can't see a rolled ankle keeping him out. I know that's me talking with a rolled ankle, and I, I, I was out for floor hockey this past week. But that that's a big one, that Dan Clark injury. That one actually worries me, because if they have to lo- move Logan Ferlin to center and John, Josiah St. John comes in to play guard, oh, man. I do not, I don't like this offensive line as it is. You all of a sudden have to put Logan Ferland as the guy to call plays because that's what Dan Clark does as well. He call, calls out the defense. You get Logan Ferland that has to do that. And Josiah St. John, who's been absolutely a bust, and that's putting it nicely. I could say much worse about how he's turned out in his CFL career, but that worries me even against the, the Edmonton Elks, who lose to everybody, including Ottawa. Now, you, you talk about uh, him being the tough SOB and him, uh, you, you think he's going to play. I've got, I've got an inside source that's, that saw him at the grocery store today, You because know, this is Ryder Nation, that's all you see. Uh, we, the players are everywhere, but he said that he was limping pretty good in the grocery store. That uh, it, it, did, it didn't look good, but... Like you, I have to agree. The guy, the guy's tough as nails, and we were super hard on him in our first year or two uh, on this show. Probably the first year because it was uh, was it was the accident in twenty seventeen. Uh, I don't remember. I think so, but after that, yeah. he was lights out. He's yep. been a fantastic yeah. lineman the last couple seasons. I would, I would put him up against any other center in the league. And I would not. I would not move him. Yep, absolutely. Add in that he's a Regina kid. He, he's he, he's not earned my respect. He never needed to do that. But I I never want to see an offensive line this season without him on it. He he is a quality O lineman. To me, the best center in the league. And you go from that to uh, to a rookie calling those plays. I don't like it. I hope to God he plays. He's more important to me than uh, than Duke Williams. And we, uh, and it's not even close. We uh, say this on Wednesday night, as we know the depth chart comes out on Thursday. So by the time uh, 
anybody anybody listens to this, they'll probably know whether Dan Clark's in or out. My <laughs> guess is he's in. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that definitely something to monitor uh, going forward. Anyway, after this game, for sure. That's... I'm going to assume he's going to be listed as game time decision. <laughs> probably. And for the for the descriptive video, I'm doing the quotation. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah. What yeah. am I supposed to yeah, do with my hands? That's the that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty. Let's get to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Steve, Steve, I see you have a Churchill uh, Brewing Company beverage there. Which one you got tonight? I went with the IPA. I, I ran out of the uh, lawnmower, so I had to switch up switch it up today. Ah, nice. I got yeah. the uh, the blonde lager going on right now. Nice. So Reggie that'd, Bagel. That'd be a good choice. Reggie Bagleton. Going back to the Stamps this week, that was a kind of out of nowhere signing, and uh, I have a couple thoughts on this. I saw Danny Austin, of course, a uh, friend of the show here, um, making mention about how this is this is the guy that's going to put him over the top, and this is such a huge, huge signing. I want to temper expectations on Reggie Bagleton just a little bit. I think he's a fantastic receiver. He's a clear number one in the CFL. There's a reason why he got. You know, try out with the Packers and made the roster. Green Bay Packer legend. Yeah, exactly. Like he, there's a reason why he got that. He's a very, very talented guy. But we've seen this happen with talented CFL receivers going to the NFL, staying on the practice roster or whatever, and then coming back. It takes them a while. And considering they only have two games left, and then the playoffs, three games left, that he'll actually you know get to play in. I don't think he'll be up to speed. I think if there's anybody that could, it might be him. But I'm not expecting the guy to go out there and get 150 yards and two touchdowns every game. That's just not going to happen. If he does, then I'll, I'll eat the crow on that, I guess. I hope he doesn't for you know the rider's sake. But <laughs> temper expectations on it. It's a it's a nice signing for sure. But look at look at Andy Fantuz when he left for the NFL. Look at. Weston, or look at the, yeah, Weston Dressler, when he got his chance, when they came up, it took them a while. It took them months to get back into the swing of things and into the CFL game. And those are the Hall of Famers. So I, I don't think that it's a huge, huge impactful signing for this season. If he ends up signing, re-signing in for 2022 with the Stamps, then yes, obviously that's huge. But... I would temper expectations on that just a little bit. But yeah, add in him and Trey Roberson, cornerback there in uh, in Calgary. They're not going to be an easy out in the playoffs. And we're shaping up to have a Saskatchewan-Calgary semifinal. It's just a matter of where it's going to be played, probably here at Mosaic Stadium. But Calgary's not going to be an easy out this year. I mean, we now know if the Riders take care of business this week and next week against Edmonton, which they should. If they don't beat Edmonton back to back, we don't belong in the playoffs. Let's let's be honest there. It, so, if we take care of business, we the next two weeks, the game is here, in in December or in late November. I don't know how excited I am about that. I I don't like cold weather games. I'm a summer cat, so you know, we'll we'll make it work. But I I'm with you. I don't. It's funny because I remember two weeks ago. We signed Duke Williams, and I'm like, "Yay! This is the this is the thing to put us over." And now they sign Reggie Bagleton, and I'm like, "Eh." Yeah, but Duke okay. has actually played meaningful games in the NFL over the last couple of years, and the only reason he got pushed out of a starter's role in Buffalo is basically because of politics. 
um, like football politics, I mean, obviously. But, I mean, they brought in Stefan Diggs. You bring in a legitimate number one. You have your slot receiver in Cole Beasley. You draft a rookie in Gabriel Davis in Buffalo. You bring in a vet like Emmanuel Sanders. All of a sudden, there is no room for a Duke Williams, who was a good receiver for them. He wasn't an elite one, but he was still very good. All of a sudden, there's no room for that in Buffalo. and But he has played. And that, that, you're right. That's that's the big difference. Is he played last season. He, he was a decent player on a really good offense, whereas Richie Bagleton couldn't crack a receiving core that went through a ton of players and had a ton of issues last year with arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks in the game. So, I mean, if you can't crack that roster, and there were there was a ton of movement all season in that receiving core, you know, there, there is a difference between those two players. Now, that's a not that's not a knock on Reggie Bagels. He is a damn good receiver and he's a huge threat. But my my bigger thing is, does it matter who's who's running routes if if uh, Bo Levi can't get them the ball? And what I've noticed a lot about Bo Levi Mitchell, and especially in the the Stamptober as we called it, with the three games against the Riders and the Stamps, he's throwing off his back foot a lot. This is a guy who's relying on his arm to make the plays instead of stepping into throws who's coming off a massive shoulder injury. Like, to me, that just makes no sense whatsoever. But you have a guy who, I mean, if you can throw off your back foot, that's, that's you know, a huge confidence thing in a quarterback to make those kind of throws. Like, there's only a handful of quarterbacks, maybe in the CFL, maybe in the NFL as well, that are comfortable throwing off their back foot and make it look easy. And I would put Bo kind of up there normally. But this year, it's not working for him. you got to step up, whether he's afraid to take a hit or not. I'm not sure, but you got to step up into your throws. And he's thrown off his back foot, and he thinks he can make the throws. Like, good for you for thinking that and having the confidence. But it's not showing up. Look at those games against the, the Riders where he was throwing all those interceptions. He was just laying them out there. They were easy interceptions because he was throwing off his back foot. So that, that's the real issue in Calgary. It's not going to be a receiver coming in that isn't up to speed with that offense. It's Bo's the issue with that offense. ago that Bo Levi Mitchell would be the the asterisk on a otherwise decent offensive unit I mean that's but that's how quickly it can change you know not everybody is a Michael Riley who can who can put out quality year after quality year until he's 73 I mean that that's I'm expecting my grandkids to be watching Michael Riley <laughs> play CFL ball at a high quality level that's just nothing has shown me that that won't happen but with Bo Levi, there there was just a very quick decline, and not to say he's not still a quality quarterback. He's a guy that can change a game when he's on. So I mean, I'm not not going to write off the Stampeders going into the playoffs. That would be dumb, and the Riders won't do that. No. But it, he is their biggest issue on offense, and I never thought that would be, you know, be the case two years ago. But I'm I'm really happy that the Riders that he spurned the riders a couple of years back and, and stuck it out in Calgary because we've got, we've got a younger up and comer who, who can improve versus a, the aging vet who for lack of a better term seems to be declining. Sorry, Stamps fans. Yeah, I know you're not going to like that. 
You're not. And maybe I'm wrong. You're not. Watch him put up 450 <laughs> yards in the playoffs just because I said that. But sorry. You're not that sorry. Let's <laughs> get to our uh, enemy preview riders at Edmonton on Friday night. Second game of the doubleheader. Uh, it says 7.45. It won't start until after 8 because the first game will go longer and the CFL isn't equipped to have two games on at the same time from the league level, which <laughs> nobody could see with Steve rolling his eyes on that. <laughs> Come on, guys. Get your stuff together. I, I mean, I, I've been... I know the problem. It's, it's their command center, and yeah. I've been in that command center my kitchen and i don't live in a big house <laughs> i i my my whole house is a thousand square feet my kitchen is bigger than their command center so i'm not shocked that that that's what's causing their issues with multiple games but come on get it get it together do something because delaying games looks you know i hate to use the term but it looks bush league delaying game two because game one hasn't finished yet Start game two on TSN four or five or whatever yeah. other channel you want to put it on. Keep your game and, and have your tell your commentators, hey, this game's gonna remain on TSN one and three. But if you want to switch over to the other game, I don't know why you would because we have a great finish coming up. Probably not, but that that's what you say, right? <laughs> then keep it here, um, and then we'll all rejoin and get all get the game on all channels again once this game is finished. Like you just well, make that or, note, or here and here, here's a bold thought: stop scheduling games exactly three hours apart. Leave half an hour in between to have some kind of preview post game show. No, no, not yes. in the regular season. No, yes. not on Friday nights when the second game starts at eight o'clock. Or not, even not till even 8:30. fifteen minutes. Even fifteen. Oh, just you give yourself a bit of a buffer. The three hours. And if you is... have to talk about the game, then. Then talk about the game. No, the three hours is fine. It's them scheduling the second game at 7.45. That's the problem, is they're trying to think that they can get the first game done in two hours and 45 minutes and, and speed the game up and look at the refs calling little ticky-tack penalties and taking forever to uh, actually make a call. That's not going to happen anytime soon. These games aren't going to finish by then. I mean, we did we did sit there and say that the the rider game wouldn't start on time this last week, and then was it the game before went to overtime? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it went to overtime. I mean, I don't I don't know what you do, but <laughs> it, I think we we got a little bit off track. There. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> as is known to happen because of you know, happens once in a while. The uh, the Edmonton Elks starting Taylor Cornelius at quarterback. Instead of Nick Arbuckle, who they just re-signed for, to a uh, one-year contract extension through 2022. So obviously they're saying that Nick's their guy going forward. Even on just a week's practice, I'd be playing Nick Arbuckle. If you're serious about making this guy your guy, then put him there with Darrell Walker. Put him, even though Darrell Walker, who according to Dustin Nielsen, can't play in the CFL anymore. Um, you put him Thanks. with him. You put him with... Um, Greg Ellingson, you put him with Shy Ross because if they show something in these last couple of games, they can still technically make the playoffs. They won't, but they could. But if he shows something with them, then you know, okay, next year, let's make sure we bring back Greg Ellingson. Let's bring back Darrell Walker and bring back all these guys. I, I think on the flip side, you have to look at it. This, If this is your guy for the future, 
you want him in the best position to excite the fans right out of the gate. And going up against a quality rider's defense on a week's practice with a brand new team, and we've seen uh, Greg Ellingson is a do not did not participate in practice so far all this week. Yeah, hip injury. Uh, Darrell Walker, same thing. Um, James Wilder. So they're missing three big parts of their of their offense. I don't know that you make that move. I think you, you basically say, "This is your team next year. This is this is you take the time to get used to the offense, and let's just go kind of go through the motions this week." Because if you if you go in front of the fans on Friday night and absolutely crap the bed in your in your first start, fans remember that kind of thing. Are there going to be fans there to to remember it though? Because look at Edmonton's attendance last week against Hamilton that was the worst I've ever seen Edmonton ever like you can go back just a handful of years to where if there was only 28,000 people at Commonwealth Stadium wow where is everybody usually there's over 30,000 people here there was nobody there they might have had 8,000 like it looked like an Argos game it was bad I know it's a bad team and obviously the Oilers are playing, and, and the Oilers are playing well as you know as well. But that that's that's worrisome. That is really, and that could get, get I can go off onto this into another topic about how worried we should be about next year in the CFL. But maybe that's something we'll save for for next week. But they got to do something to get the fans back in there because after this home game, they have their game against the Riders. So do you hold them out for that one as well, too? Because you're saying don't go up against the, the good defense, and then all of a sudden, what? then you have those three games in, like, that's the next week is the start of their three games in seven days. I don't think you hold them out next week. I think I think putting them in, in an away game to start where there's not however many fans they have in the stands, and I know this is exactly where Greg would make some kind of expansion team joke, so... Uh, insert any kind of expansion team joke you can think of right now for for his benefit, but I think given the different the issues they've had off the field with uh, GM with uh, you know certain players and their their vaccine comments, Jay Ruby at the beginning of the year, it, it seems like it's been a nonstop downhill slide for this this organization, and that's obviously going to affect attendance. Then you factor in the. Uh, the pandemic that's going on right now, that's going to play a, uh, a factor in as well. It feels like they are set up to fail to end the year. I think I think if you take take Nick Arbuckle, sit him out this, league, this week, let him watch a game with this offense, get him back next week in Regina, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement about playing in, under the lights at Mosaic Stadium. It's a, it's a fun place to play. That's a good test an away game against a good defense, but you don't have to worry about your own fans booing you or booing your, your whoa, whoa, guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not sucks. Winnipeg here, and he is not Matt Nichols, okay? Still one of my favorite moments. <laughs> but, I mean, the way this team has played, their fans are mad. If yeah. the first game that Nick Arbuckle plays at Commonwealth Stadium isn't at least decent, it's not going to go well. For that relationship between him and the fans, but this is their last. I don't this is their last home game anyway. So why not put them, put them, put them out there? 
just to show people, hey, this is our guy. Get him out there. And what has Taylor Cornelius shown at all to say he should start another CFL game? Absolutely nothing. Like, I would start Dakota Prokop at that point. I, is, do they play three away games after this? They play... Is, are they... After this, they play here next Saturday. And then they have the Tuesday game in Toronto, which was the rescheduled one from earlier in the year. And their final game is uh, the Friday, November 19th in BC, which is likely oh, so to be a completely meaningless game. So they are on the road to close out the set. That might change things a little bit for my, for my thoughts. But on, in the same sense, that gives them a few games with his offense before he has to start next year in front of those fans. And it gives him a chance to build that offense. I don't think you want to rush rush your future guy onto the field. Not the way they're playing right now. Maybe that's just me as a Ryder fan not wanting to see Nick Arbuckle because we know what he did to us with Calgary. I Maybe I just don't want him to be <laughs> playing. <laughs> just like every other backup quarterback over the last... How long have we been in organization? 120 years? It seems like backup quarterbacks are our kryptonite. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. But I'm, I'm glad he's not playing. Should they? Maybe. Probably not. But I'm glad he's not. Is there anybody on this Elks team that worries you at all? Like, James, James Wilder Jr. had a decent start to the year, but he's kind of tailed off. And... When you look at what him and Simone Lawrence got into last week, starting fights and whatnot, like he's clearly frustrated, as they all are in Edmonton, obviously with being a crap team who getting blown out every week. But there's nobody on that team right now, and that's inc- including Darrell Walker, Greg Ellingson. There's nobody there that worries me from that team whatsoever. Darrell Boncrief. Derek Moncrief. Yeah, he almost had a, a pick yeah. six there uh, on a screen yeah. pass. Yeah, that's, that's literally the extent. Yeah, sorry. And I, Darryl, I was thinking Darrell Walker. And, yeah. Darrell Walker doesn't scare me. Der, Derek Moncrief? That's a guy that can change a game. Outside of that? Yeah. And James Wilder is, uh, has been a do not practice or did not participate in practice this week too, so who knows if he's playing. You know, the... All three of the guys that would normally worry me with this roster are all expected to be out. Which, again, as a Ryder fan, should scare me. Because we don't do well against the unknown. So, no, that might that might play into my uh, my pick'em picks here in a minute. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm not... I won't go so far as to say a guaranteed win. I did that once, I'm done. <laughs> I, I'm Walk away with a perfect record, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't see any way we should lose this game, and I don't see anybody on that roster that should convince me otherwise. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Edmonton's given up nearly 600 yards rushing in the last three games. Now, granted, they played William Stanback, who had 200-plus against them. But in the CFL, giving up 600 yards of rushing in three games is absolutely insane. Like, that is god-awful. If there's ever a game for a get-right rushing offense for those riders, this is it. And I fully expect a lot of William Powell this week, especially with the question marks on the offensive line with, with Dan Clark. Like, this, get that offensive line, like I said, moving forward, being the aggressors. This is the week to do it and open up that play action and see what happens there. So 
that's that's where I see the the game being won for the Riders is just on the offensive line and just running the ball and just getting William Powell the ball. That's where they're gonna win. I have no worries about the Riders defense in this game. Like the defense will be lights out. They'll probably only give up like twelve points. Like I'm not worried about that whatsoever. But that offense, if they can get William Powell going, I'm not too worried. If if William Powell doesn't finish this game with triple digits, something's wrong. This is the game you you just run with them, and you make other teams. It's not even just about the Edmonton Elks. This is about this is about the game in Hamilton. This is about the the games in Calgary and Winnipeg or against Calgary and Winnipeg. You feed Powell the ball with decent regularity over the next two weeks, and suddenly those guys have to start respecting the run. Or at least game plan to respect it at the start yep. until they realize we're not doing it. But it gives them an option at the beginning of every game. So I mean, th- if if ever there was a time to go, this is it. You're a hundred percent right there. And and I will say this right now: William Powell has 140 yards rushing. Wow, 140. I, I won't go yep. that high. But wow. Okay. Yep. I'd love to see it. I really would. Um, the only reason he doesn't break that is if we we blow up the game early and he. He's sitting to, to end it. Otherwise, he, I think he top, tops 140. I actually wouldn't be upset if that was the case. Uh, let's get to <laughs> our pick for this week, Steve. Uh, I think we're probably going to be pretty uh, on, on on the same page here. BC at Hamilton on Friday. Hamilton? I'm going, I'm going BC. Yeah, really? BC. We're going to have to check with Greg and see who he picks, but I think this is the... BC season is on the line right now. All that Hamilton has to play for now is is the uh, the first week by. They're they're effectively guaranteed a playoff spot. I I don't think they need to worry too much about that. So BC has a lot more to lose, and they're they're a decent team when they put it all together. So I'm going BC. We'll check with Greg to see who we're taking the charity pick. All right. Um, Leaving but, it up to Greg might be a big mistake. Yeah, that might be a bad idea. We probably should just flip a coin. Um, yeah. Saskatchewan at Edmonton, obviously. We're going with the Riders here. Yeah, you have to. And and when we put ten bucks on it on the on the charity pickup, we'll probably win ten dollars and twelve cents. <laughs> I don't think the odds are going to be in uh, Edmonton's favor in that one. Probably not. Toronto at Ottawa. Toronto. Yeah. Ottawa's not playing Edmonton, so there's no chance that they'll win. <laughs> oh, that's not wrong. And the final game, Montreal at Winnipeg. This is the one I'm actually a little bit torn on. Winnipeg has nothing to play for. They've already locked up first in the West. They're going to have the, the West final at home. Montreal has first place to play for. I don't think Winnipeg's going to actually rest their guys. Not as much as we think they are, at least not yet. In the last game of the year... They might, at least the second half. They'll kind of do that here where they'll probably play him for three quarters. But Winnipeg doesn't give out points in the fourth quarter anyway. So, and I, I mean, you can't just take out the entire defense or the entire offense. That's just the numbers. It just it just does not work that way where you replace everybody. So you're still going to have some starters in with some backups on both offense and defense. It's still going to be a good team for Winnipeg. And I think, honestly, the pride of them being at home and wanting to go perfect at home is going to be there too. So part of me wants to say Winnipeg's actually going to win this game, even though they have nothing to play for. 
And I think I'm going there. I think I'm saying Winnipeg's going to win this. I, I, I'm with you 100%. I, I wouldn't even hesitate to, to pick Winnipeg. I think the the last game against Calgary, I might uh, I might see you know change my feel. They might sit guys for the second half in that one, and Calgary might be playing for either a, a playoff spot or potentially a, a home playoff spot. That one would worry me. This week, Winnipeg is still... Until they show that they're going to sit guys, I can't pick against them. They're they're too good of a team to to do otherwise. So I would I would go uh, Winnipeg without hesitation. All right. Well, that's all we got. And before before we end, there's one thing I we didn't mention during the uh, the Ryder game last or pre or not preview uh, review. I I saw a stat on TSN, and I don't know how this has slipped by for so long. But it, it really shocked me because as a Ryder fan, we're so used to blowing games or losing in heartbreaking fashion. It's just what we've done for years. <laughs> the Riders are, are twenty now twenty seven and zero since I want. I think they said 2016, 2017. I can't remember what year it was that they said, but the last twenty seven games, anyways, where we've led at the half, they're undefeated. No, twenty seven and zero. Yeah, really. I I didn't see them bring yes. that up. It was it was a stat on TSN that they showed. Uh, I wow. want to say it was in the third quarter at some point. They are twenty seven and zero when leading at the half. And when I look back and think about it, they don't. I mean, if that's if that's since twenty seventeen, that's a lot of games where they weren't leading at the half, and that doesn't surprise me. We had a lot of come from behind wins in twenty nineteen, but I really don't remember us blowing any halftime leads. Yeah, not really. But it just feels like we do. Like that. That's. <laughs> What rider? That's what rider teams do. You know, we look back to the Richie Hall years. You know, that's going that's going a, a ways back here. But we always talked about that prevent defense and it prevented wins. And I feel like that has stuck with fans for so long that we just assume it's happened since, but it hasn't. That to me is more impressive than what the what the Bombers have done in the fourth quarter, with the way points are scored, the way leads change in the CFL. 27-0 leading at the half. That's impressive. With the Riders' history, that's pretty good. So <laughs> yep, that's I, impressive. I'll, I'll, uh, I had to bring that up. It, it, it clicked in. I can't remember when during the pickup, but uh, so just yeah, make that was a that was good. Just make sure you have a one-point lead at the half against Edmonton and almost guaranteed victory. I, if we are only leading by one at the half against this team. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. That's there'll, there'll be a halftime rant we put out that might be not safe for work. Oh, my my rival the Bradbury rant, and because it's a late game, I'll I'll have had a couple of beverages sitting on my couch watching this one. So, uh, yikes! Yikes! Yeah, that's there's no better word for it than that. I kind of want to see that just to hear the rant. <laughs> oh, that well, Bradbury one was pretty good. That's gonna do it this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Piffles Podcast, brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks as well to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing, Con- Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. Piffles Podcast is a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network, and a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. This is the part where we're going to miss Greg. This is where he sings. <sighs> I guess Don't look I, at me. I did it once this episode. All right, I guess can't my, do it again. I guess it's my turn. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Teller Gilbert and me. The Ghost Behind Your Mind. The Ghost Behind Your Mind.